Praise ye the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. We don't know when, but the King is coming. Just think how much problem, how few problems we could have if He come tonight. It would be all be over, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that pay our taxes? Hey, praise the Lord! Get out of my taxes. Oh, I'm sure that would put the government completely under if I didn't have to pay my taxes this year. <clears throat> They'd probably go bankrupt if we didn't have to pay our taxes. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious, a lot. <clears throat> Studying the Word of God is lots of fun. There's a whole lot to learn and uh, a whole lot to learn. So anyway, let's come to the Lord in prayer here and we'll get started on Tuesday night Bible study. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for the Word. And Lord, I ask you to open our understanding to the Word tonight as we talk about these subjects we're going to talk about tonight. Lord, I thank you for what the Word says. And I ask you to give us revelation and wisdom and knowledge and understanding so we can rightly divide the Word of Truth. Lord, so we can understand it. We want to know what you're trying to tell us in these Scriptures. We don't want to second-guess you or nothing like that. We just want to know the truth so the truth can set us free. Now, Lord, I praise you and thank you for the Word. I, give you, I ask you to bless everything we do here tonight in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. For those of you that didn't hear about our little trip to uh, the foreign countries, we had... Uh, Cheryl, she wants to move over there. <laughs> Forgive me for lying. <laughs> she asked me, honey, please don't ever ask me to move to this place. Well, we were over there. Uh, we don't realize how blessed we are, really. Of course, first of all, you know, when you go to Europe, for those of you who have been to Europe, and of course, I lived over there 35 years ago for two years, so I had been there a lot. But, uh, you know, everything's old, buildings are old, and everything's, streets are real narrow. You know, they made streets back in the days when they, you know, had a horse and buggy, or, you know, just horses. But now then that you've got trucks and cars, the streets are just a little bit narrow. You know, so when a truck comes down the road and you have to pull up on the sidewalk to let the truck go by, you know, it's a little narrow. <clears throat> but that's the way it is. And then, of course... Uh, uh, there's some good people over there, people that love God and want to do what the Lord says. And, uh, of course, we were up in the Black Forest of Germany a whole lot and over in Switzerland. But there in the Black Forest, when we got there that night, uh, there was about, snow was about this deep, you know. But when we left, it was over nine feet deep. It snowed four feet while we were there. Four foot of snow. While we were there, I've never seen so much snow in my life, you know. And when people they shovel out a little pathway to get to their door, well, the snow is ten feet deep on the sides, you know, in the front yard. You know, I mean, wow! Every day, every morning, you get up, you know, dig out an extra six or eight inches or a foot of fresh snow. That's exactly what I want to do every morning: is wake up and get out and say, "No, <laughs> oh me, no, Lord, forgive me. I don't want to do that either." But anyway, tonight I want, to, I want us to talk about something 
And I know that lots of people interpret what I'm going to talk about tonight in a different light. Uh, some people uh, believe it's going to happen. Some people don't believe it's going to happen. Some people believe it's going to happen at one time and another at another time. But I'm just going to read the Word tonight. We're going to talk about this a little bit. And what we're going to talk about tonight is the Lord's return. I've, we're going to talk about the return of the Lord. And I'm going to, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to start off with. And then we'll go to 1 Thessalonians 4. But in 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to read this and talk about it. And then I want you to throw in your input of what you think the Lord's trying to tell us here in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, we'll start with verse 45. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 15:45, Paul said, And as it is written, the first man Adam was made a living soul, and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which was spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. Now, the first man is of the earth, earthly, and the second man is of the Lord. He's from heaven. He's talking about Adam and Eve, of course. He says, As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such as such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot enter or inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, verse 51, I show you a mystery. Now, you've got to remember that there's several mysteries in the gospel. Paul's talking about this is a mystery that was hidden before the foundations of the world. Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, if that had not been a mystery and been hidden, if the devil had have known what God was doing, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 2.8 that the principalities and powers, which is Satan and his host of demons, would not crucify the Son of Glory or the Lord. You know, have you ever heard somebody ask the question, I crucified Jesus. Or who crucified Jesus? Well, we crucified Jesus. The Jews crucified Jesus. No, ain't none of them right. None of those right. The Scripture tells you who crucified Jesus. And it says Satan and his host of demons crucified Jesus because it's written in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. Now then, you ever thought about that? See, this was a mystery, a mystery that was hidden before the foundations of the world that if the principalities and powers had have known, they would in have no ways crucified the Son of Glory. Why? You ever stop thinking about this mystery? Paul's fixing to tell us a mystery here in 1 Corinthians 15, but he also says that, Behold, I show you a mystery, and this is the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Now then, unfortunately, a lot of Christians that I know, they've read that, but they've never realized it really means what it says. Christ is in you. So when you go somewhere, here's what we do. Say, oh God, please be with us this week and please don't leave us. He can't leave you. He's in you. You don't have to pray and ask Him to be with you. He is forever with you and cannot leave you if you're His child. You take Him with you, Gina, everywhere you go. You can't get rid of Him. You don't want to get rid of Him, though, do you? No, me neither. I want Him with me. But this was a mystery that Satan did not understand. So there are several mysteries that we read about and talk about. And the mystery that God had to hide from Satan and his host of demons, if the devil had have known that he had one Jesus alive on this earth, and that if he killed him, which is what he wanted to do, but he wanted him to sin, so he'd have legal claim to him. And he tried every trick he knew to get Jesus to sin. And not one time did Jesus ever fall to sin. Not one. Now then... If Jesus didn't fall to sin not one single time, if you try to tell someone you believe you can walk without sin, most people think you're crazy. You know, they really think you're crazy. But that's okay. I'm glad God's the judge and not you. You know that? I'm glad God is the judge and not us as people. Because we don't even know what sin is ourselves. Keith and I was just talking about that a while ago. We're trying to determine what is sin. And it's a tough chore. Trying to figure out what is sin and what's not sin. Now we know that lying, we know that murdering, we know that stealing, we know that adultery, we know all those things are sin. But there's a lot of things you can do that does not fit in those categories that's sin. A lot of things. So, I'm glad God is our judge and not man. Now, if we see a brother blatantly doing something we know is wrong, we need to sit down and talk with them about it and see if we can get them to change. Now, if you can, you want a victory. But only God, like Cheryl says about me, when I do something she don't like, she knows she can't change me. She's already found that out. It's impossible for her to change me. But she's learned the one who can change me. See, I taught her too well. She goes right to the throne of grace immediately and says, Lord, Daddy, that man you gave me, he's not treating me like I'm supposed to be treated. So you take care of him for me. And so the Lord moves on my heart and changes me. You know? And so uh, it's amazing, you know, that when a woman learns she can't change her husband, I mean, you can walk up to him, you can do anything you want to do to him, you can tell him anything you want to do, you can threaten him, you can threaten you're going to leave him, you can threaten you're going to kill him, you can threaten him with anything you want to, and a man, it don't affect most men. You know, women too. women too, huh? Yeah, yeah. But that's the way we are. So we are human beings. That's what the brothers tried to say. We're human beings. And so who can change us? God. He's the only one. So you're fighting a losing battle when you're trying to change a human being yourself. And that's where most of us fight the battle. We try to change each other. But you can't. But you have to go to the Lord and let Him change them. So the mystery that Paul was talking about over in Colossians, he's talking about, that, behold, I show you a mystery. And the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now then, 
in the first part of Corinthians here, in 1 Corinthians 2, 8, it says, If the principalities and powers had have known what they were doing, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Because what they didn't understand is when they killed him, they thought it was over. They didn't realize that it's kind of like throwing gasoline on top of the water. You know, if, if you get gasoline and you get a fire going with gasoline and you try to put it out with water, you know what it does? It spreads it. It just spreads it. You know, gasoline sets on top of water and it'll, it's lighter than water. It only weighs about six pounds per gallon, where water weighs eight, a little over eight pounds per gallon. So the specific gravity of water is much heavier. So it goes to the bottom and the gasoline comes to the top. And it just continues to rage. Gasoline, you can pour gasoline on a lake, on pure water, and then throw a match out there and it'll burn, burn right on top of that water. You know, it, you can't put it out like that. It will literally burn on top of the water. And so, Somebody says, well, gee, how do you put it out? Well, it's hard to put it out with water, I'll say that. But the thing about it is, here's what happened when the devil killed Jesus. When he killed Jesus, what he did was, at that point, the Lord sent the Holy Spirit, and now then everybody that believes in Jesus becomes a little Jesus. You know that? Why do I say we become a little Jesus? Because when you got saved, brother... What happened? Jesus came inside you, right? So now then, you got Christ in you. And then when you got saved, Christ was in you. Now we got two Jesuses here. And then back here when this brother got saved, we got three. And then when she got saved, we got four. And first thing I know, the devil, if he had have known what he was doing, that he no longer has one Jesus to contend with. He's got them everywhere. He's got a real problem now. And if the church ever learns that, if we ever learn that every one of us literally have Christ in us, the hope of glory, this is a mystery that was hidden, and the devil has been totally defeated when we learn that, we won't ever let that beast run over us no more. You know, you just won't let him do it to you. You know, you will be able to beat him. So that that's one of the mysteries that's in the Bible. But Paul says right here in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. He's going to show us another mystery. He said, Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, this is not the first mystery that he's talked about. There's more than one. But this is another one. Now, when we talk about this, he says, he says We shall not all sleep or die. That's what he's talking about there. We shall not all die. Or we shall not all fall asleep. But we shall all be changed. Every one of us that are born again, that know Jesus, he said we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. So just think, this transformation that's going to take place is going to be an instantaneous, quick thing. The twinkling of an eye? You know how quick the tw- you, know, you can twinkle your eye? I mean, bam, you can't even see it, can you? I mean, you can twinkle your eye. Bam! It's done. But he, Paul says this is how fast this event's going to take place. He says, in a moment. I mean, bam! Just like that. It's not going to be a long, drawn-out procedure. In a moment, 
in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Now, there's a lot of discussion between a lot of people what the last trump is. I mean, if you've never studied out all these trumpets in God's Word, then you can understand how some people can understand this in many different lights. But I believe, now this is my own way, I believe that this trump will be the trumpet that will call us home before the tribulation period starts. But everybody don't believe that. And that's okay. I'm not going to have a knockdown drag out with you. I mean, I've got two of my best men friends. I mean, these guys are the best spiritual guys. I spend more time in studying the Word of God with these guys. One of these guys believes just like I do. He believes the rapture's coming soon. It's going to be before the tribulation. And the other one believes we're going through the tribulation. So, like we were sitting having dinner the other day, the three of us, we decided just to go out and talk about the Word. And so we decided to go have dinner together. And, of course, this subject came up. And one of them says, well, I tell you, we're going to go through the tribulation. The other says, well, I'll tell you what. Me and Thurman's going to be on the first load out. <laughs> if, you, if you want to stay here and go through it, that's okay. But me and Thurman, we're going to be on the first load out. So, <laughs> so we have lots of fun talking about these things. But, you know, you may have a different opinion than me. You may understand this different than I do, and that's okay. You know, I still want to be your friend. You know, I mean, I, I believe with all my heart that, you know, that the, this is going to happen at this last trump, and I believe this trump that will sound, I believe that will technically be the Lord's voice as He descends from heaven, and He calls us home. You know, that angel's going to let that, that actually the angel's going to blow the trumpet, but the Lord's going to come down and He's going to call us, and He's going to call us home. So, but if you don't believe that, that's okay. Let's go ahead and see what it says here. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption, this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass this saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. Now, boy, you don't want to sin, do you? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. So, see, this goes back to what I have been talking about several times, that here we are under grace. Paul tells us, don't fall from grace. Stay in grace. Stay in love. If you step out of love, you step out of grace, and when you do, you sin. And when you sin, then the law is there to convict you. You just step from grace and you lied. Now, I'm glad God's the interpreter of who's lying. Because a lot of people will tell you, you lied when you didn't. I mean, I've had people stand right in my face and say, you lied. No, I did not lie. You know, I mean, I think about the many times of all the, over the years as I've worked as an engineer, I learned a lesson extremely well over the years. 
When you send a team of men out to do something, if it's something that's very important, you write it all down in order and give it to the lead and have him read it in the presence of everybody else, or you read it to them, then you ask him what you think you meant, and then you have him read it and discuss it back with you, and you have the men that's going to help him discuss back with you, so there'll be absolutely no misunderstanding of what you want done. You know how many times I've sat with a group of educated men and handed them in writing what I want done, and they cannot interpret what I've written down in clear English? It's happened lots of times to me. But it didn't happen near as many times as it does when I just tell a man what I want him to do. I tell him, I mean, I can remember an experience a few years ago. I walked over to one of our buildings and we was having a conference downstairs with a bunch of people in a big room. And I walked over just on the roof of that building and found out the air conditioner for that room wasn't working properly. So I called one of my young men. I told him on the radio, I said, come over here. And I said, the condenser fan is bad on this machine. I said, change the condenser fan. I thought that's very clear. So that should have taken about an hour. Well, about four hours later, they called me and said, that conference room is extremely hot. Is there something you can do? I said, what? That thing ought to be cool. So I called the boy on the radio and I said, did you change the condenser fan? He said, yes, sir, I did, but it wouldn't run. And so I had to call the lead and we're over here. And he said, we're having trouble figuring out what's wrong with it. I said, what? So I thought, I better go over there myself. So I went over there, and had, yes, they had changed the condenser fan. But the young man, I misunderstood that he didn't know enough about it to know that when the condenser fan goes off, the high-pressure switch pops off. I thought he knew that, but he didn't. And so when he got it back together, it still wouldn't run. And so he took the contactor out, which had all kinds of wires going all over the place, and he didn't number none of them, and when he put it back together, he got several of them on the wrong terminals. And now it sure won't run. And so when I get there, I was a little upset with this bunch. I had to send them all home, and it took me about three hours to straighten that thing out. If I'd have fixed it myself the first time, I'd have took me 30 minutes, and I'd have been through with it and been through. But the way it was, it took me three hours to straighten out what them, them two guys messed up. Isn't that amazing? But those kind of things happened to me in life many times. So I got to the point where if it was anything very important, a very big job, I would write down each item, each article, in detail. Then have a man come to me, my lead, and I get the two or three guys going to help him. I say, you guys stand in here. I'm going to read this to you and tell you all what I want you to do. And I'm going to hand it to him. And I want him to read it. And then I want each one of you to tell me what your job is supposed to be. And did you know sometimes they still didn't get it right? That's the way people misinterpret things. So when I begin to see this, that I could write down something and explain it to a man how I wanted it done... And that man, which is intelligent, could read it to the other men and they could turn around and not get it right. Then I begin to understand why we misinterpret the Word of God. I can see it. Because certain words mean certain things to certain people. And to other people, they mean something else. So, that's what I 
had to contend with as an engineer all those years. So we go back to the old scenario. If you want done something done exactly the way you want to do it, guess who's got to do it? You do. And then you don't make no mistakes. That's why as an engineer roving across this country, building buildings, designing equipment, I was on the scene day and night making sure everybody did it exactly. And I had a very, very high standard. And that's why I done, that's why I was liked by my company. And that's why I got the major raises every year. And that's why I got the reviews every year. Excellent. Outstanding. Because I was on the job. I didn't leave it up to somebody else. I didn't tell them. I was there making sure it happened just like it was supposed to happen. And when that happens, you have very few problems. But when you get to the point where you can't be there and you have to leave it up to other people, you never know what you're going to get. So you just do the best you can. That's all you can do. You get to a point where you can't be everywhere and do everything exactly. So here, Paul is saying, I'm, I am going to show you another mystery. Well, somebody said, oh, Paul's going to show us a mystery. I read about the mystery. The mystery is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Is that true? Sure it is. But is that what he's talking about here? No. Totally another mystery. So how many... There's at least two mysteries. So when somebody says mystery, you say, I got it. I know what he's talking about. Don't go no further. Let me show you a mystery. I got it. I read that. I don't need to know no more. I already know about the mystery. No, you might not. You might ought to listen a little further. Maybe he's got two mysteries. Maybe he's got three mysteries. Who knows how many mysteries he's got. Just because you learn one doesn't mean you got them all. So here's a mystery. And this mystery is that we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We're all going to change from corruptible to incorruptible. Every one of us. When's this going to happen? Well, Paul says, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. You and I are going to become immortal. Isn't that awesome? Which means you cannot die. Did you know that we are going to put on immortality? And this, the way we are right now, we will be similar to what we are right now, except we will totally be flawless and perfect when we put on immortality. But I think I'll know Gina when I get there. You know, I think I'll be able to recognize all of you because of the way you look today. Now, I don't know exactly how we will look, but I believe we'll be represented enough in the form that we are that we will at least know each other. You know? But we will be incorruptible and indestructible. It's going to be an awesome, awesome place or thing to live in this realm that he's talking about here. 
It's, it's something to think about this. In verse uh, 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Unmovable. Well, I mean, you can tell me all you want to. We can discuss this all we want to. But I've made up my mind the rapture's coming. You know, he's going to come for me. Now, the Lord did say, as you have believed, so shall it be unto you. He says also to them that look for my appearing, shall I appear to them. So, what if you're not looking for his coming? He ain't coming for you. He's going to leave you here. You know, I mean, that's what he said. So I'm looking for His coming. I don't want to be left out. You know, if there's anything I don't want to see, I don't want to wake up one morning and start looking around for all of my staff and none of them is there. And they're all gone and I'm the only one left. And then I go downtown and all the people that I knew that were Christians, there are none of them there, but only the heathens left. Or maybe a few of those Christians that were living in sin that knew they were living in sin, but they weren't looking for His coming anyway, so they're still there. I don't want to be one of those. Do you? Absolutely not. So I am believing the Lord's coming. Well, after looking at what He said here in 1 Corinthians 15, let's go over to 1 Thessalonians 4, because Paul talks about this same major event in 1 Thessalonians 4. He didn't just talk about it in one place. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And let's see what he has to say here. Now we're going to read I'm going to read, we're going to read this whole chapter, or verse, chapter 4, because it's got so much good stuff in it. And chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 says, Furthermore, then we which beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. So we're supposed to be pleasing God, walking in obedience to His Word. Walking in obedience to His Word. For we know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. It's obvious today the church don't know that. You know, because... When you have as many people in the church as living in sexual sins as we know about, there's something wrong. Either the people are not reading these things, and let me make a statement to you. Especially after what the Lord spoke to a lady friend of mine. After what he said to her, of course, and what I read in the Word, 
If you're a Christian and you're living in sexual immorality and he does come, he will not come for you. You will be left. God's not going to take those that are living in sin willfully when he comes to catch us away. I don't believe at all. I believe that picture of the ten virgins is a picture of this to a degree. Five of them are ready and five of them were not. They supposedly were all his children. But he only come for half of them. And the other half he left. And when they finally did go get their oil and come over and said, Lord, we're here. We want to come in. He said, I don't know you. I don't know you. That's scary, isn't it, Gina? It's scary. So, you know, there's probably those of us in this room today that if we were to really research the Word of God in detail, it would make us tremble at where we're living. You know, maybe we might not go. And, of course, you know, lots of people today, lots of people today believe that everybody's going to be saved. You know, it makes no If you're in a church, if you're just a church member, you're okay. But I don't believe that. I believe you've got to be a believer in Jesus, walk in obedience to His Word. I don't believe if you're out there lying, stealing, cheating, willfully sinning every day after you know what God says. I mean, he makes some awesome statements to us. You know, he says that if you willfully sin, there's no sacrifice for that sin left. But only a fiery judgment of God to come upon you. Well, if you know that it's wrong to live in fornication like Paul just said here, if you go ahead and do it anyway, and the rapture comes, you're not going. And you can't ever tell. You might not go at all. You might get to spend eternity in hell for that. So I don't think it's worth it. Do you? I don't think it's worth it. I don't think any sin is worth spending eternity in hell for. But I am glad that God's a merciful God. If it wasn't, nobody would get there. But it says... Verse 4 says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. In other words, your vessels, that's your parts of your body. You're supposed to be able to handle those and not sin with those. So you're supposed to learn how to do that. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. I mean... The Gentiles, when you turn on the television set, I mean, just like in Germany. I think about in Germany, Cheryl sent three boxes of CDs and DVDs, a master set of everything we had to those people in Germany, about four weeks or something like that before we went over there, and she sent them air freight so they would get them. It cost nearly $90 posted to send them over there, just those three little boxes, air freight. And then when we got there, they still not had got those out of customs because they were religious material. We had to call back and they said, it's not because they're religious, it's because you don't have a contract with Phillips to make them. Well, we called back over here to our supplier and we do have a contract with Phillips to make and duplicate them. And we sent that to them and they still said, well, 
the, the CDs, actually, the, we told him the contract on the CDs expired last year, so anybody can make CDs now, no problem. Because the uh, copyright deal expired with Phillips last year on CDs. But DVDs has got a few more years to go. But we had that information, all the information we sent, and we gave it to them, and still this lady lawyer, she would not release those things. And she wanted to destroy all of them. She said some of the DVDs do meet the criteria, but some of them are CD, DVDs that are made by another supplier, and you don't have a legal right for those things. If you don't have that, we're going to destroy the whole mess. Well, we came back over here the day we left. We came back. We still didn't have those things after nearly six weeks now. And we came back, and I went to Marsha, and I got the last thing we needed that had all the information and sent it to them. And as far as I know to this day, they have never released those CDs and DVDs, and they may have already destroyed them by now. You think we're not in a spiritual battle? Yeah. All that fight over a little box of CDs and DVDs. Isn't that amazing? But what's on those CDs and DVDs is what the devil didn't want into Germany. So, it made me think, okay, when I get back, I'm going to take time and I'm going to take every one of my teachings and I'm going to make those and load those in a computer and I'm going to put them on MP3 where they don't take up much space and I'm going to put every teaching I have on the Internet. Every teaching. That way anybody can go on there and instead of ordering something, if you've got a computer, you can click on it and download it or burn it to your own CD or whatever you want to. And I won't even have to pay the postage to send it to you. It's free. Praise God. And then it makes no difference what country you live in. Anywhere in the world, you can go, I mean, anywhere in the world. I won't have to send it. won't have to send $100 worth of postage. You just go in and click on it. If you want to download it, you can listen to it. If you want to burn it to a CD, you can burn it to your own CD on your own computer and then take it and listen to it as many times as you want to or give it away to anybody you want to. Isn't that a, see? So the devil thinks he won a victory. And he put me to thinking and I made me think about another way to do something. <laughs> Amen. Putting that water on that gasoline. That's right, brother. It just makes it burn hotter, right? Praise the King. So see, that's why well, I would have never thought about that if we hadn't had undergone this tremendous problem over there, this spiritual battle. But let me tell you, when I found out that Brother Christoph that started this ministry, we went over there too, that his daughter worked for Reinhard Bunke in Frankfurt. I thought... Wow, Reinhard Bunke. I mean, the, one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived. I bet he's loved in Germany. And they said, not hardly. Everybody nearly hates him. Because he walks in a great anointing with God. And nobody wants to hear what he's got to say. Because he preaches a holiness gospel too. And he preaches salvation. And he gets millions of people saved and healed. I mean, anybody in America that's ever watched anything on Christian television has seen Reinhard Bunke. You know? And when you look at Reinhard Bunke and you see in Africa, you may see two, three, or four million people out across there. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing what that guy has done. God called him, told him what he wanted him to do. You think he's come under persecution? I'm telling you, 
I could not believe that most of the German people want nothing to do with Reinhard Bunke. Wow, he ought to be a celebrity. He's won millions to Jesus, but they don't want him. Kick him out. They don't want him. So what's new? If you're serving Jesus, the world don't want you. Now then, if you're a rock star and you're jumping up and down screaming and using all kinds of foul words, everybody loves you. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. Yeah, no problem. They'll let you in if you're a rock star. But if you're a preacher, they got a problem with you. Amazing. Amazing. The battle we're fighting. Okay, hold it just a second. Let me get a mic so everybody can hear you. One second. I read in the uh, Dallas Money News about two weeks ago, uh, Carlton Pearson, uh, some of you might remember him, he said that um, the devil would go to heaven, I read this in the newspaper, if he will repent. Now he said what now? The devil will go to heaven if he will repent. Oh. And he was preaching the gospel of uh, everybody will go to heaven. Well... You know, everybody ain't going to heaven. And the devil can't be saved. I mean, you know, I'm sorry, but Carlton and me are disagreement. You know, you know you've, you've heard him too, huh? Yeah, I mean, now, I real, there is no salvation for Satan and his host. He can't be saved. When, when Satan made his decision to turn his back on God, he is not uh, in other words, nobody can be redeemed except human beings. Satan cannot be redeemed. He's an angel. He's a fallen angel. And no angel can be redeemed. Only human beings. And so, only human beings can accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and go to heaven. But everybody is not going to heaven. Only those that receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by faith in His Word. And then, walk in obedience to His Word. You know, there's going to be a lot of Christians that say they're Christians that are living in all kinds of sin and have not been obedient to the Word of God. And they think they're okay because they've heard preachers say, once saved, always saved. You know, you can go do anything you want to do. Once you come to church and walk down this aisle... You can go out and you can live in sin. You can be on drugs. You can lie, steal, cheat. You don't have to come to church. You don't have to tithe. You don't have nothing. But you got fire insurance and when you die, you get to go to heaven. i got news for you. That is not true. You're going to have to be washed in the blood and then be obedient to obey God and do what He says. And if you are, then you get to go to heaven. But if you, he says, those children of mine that love me, if they love me, they obey me. And he said, them that do not obey me, they may say they're my children. But he said, they're liars. And the truth is not in them. All these scriptures are scary scriptures. You know, so all I can say, I want to obey him the best I know how. I want to walk as close to God as I can. Don't you agree with that? Absolutely. That's the way I want to do it. So, it says that, verse 6, 
that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, because that the Lord is the avenger of all, such as we also have forewarned you and testified. Now then, like I say, I'm not going to defraud my brother Carlton, you know, because I don't know where he's coming from here. But if he said that even the devil could be saved and go to heaven, I'm in disagreement with that because the Scripture does not agree with that. And so, you know, I'm just going to say, hey, if that's what he wants to believe, that's okay. But I don't believe that. You know, and I want it clearly known that I don't believe Satan can be redeemed. Now, if you, may, if you believe he can, well, then that's between you and God. But I don't believe the devil can be redeemed. You know, I don't believe there's any way he can get to heaven. And I don't believe there's any way any human being can get to heaven except to be washed in the blood and obey the king. You know, so if you do, you got a question? Or are you just raising your hand? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, we can't hear that. Let me turn the mic on. And, you say something? Redemption is for mankind. Oh, yeah. It's not for angels. Amen. I'm, I'm in total agreement with that statement. Redemption is for mankind and no one else. But to get that, everybody on this earth is not going to heaven. Only those that accept the blood of Jesus to wash them clean and pure. I mean, I believe that. I hope you believe that. You know, you believe that too, right, brother? Yeah, if I thought everybody could go to heaven regardless of what they had done, well, hey, you know, I mean, why be at Bible study on Sunday night, on Tuesday night? Why not be out there, why not be out there working on a car or tractor or out running around or going down having lunch with my bride or something? No, I mean, so why be here with you guys, you know? If I thought I could go to heaven regardless of what I did, but I don't believe that. I believe we have to do what the Lord says. And I believe we supposed told us to study the Word and, and all these things. So that's why we do what we do. Then it says that for God, in verse 7, For God has not called us unto uncleanliness, but unto holiness. Boy, you can't hardly mess that up, can you? He has not called us to uncleanliness, to live in sin, all kinds of unclean acts, but He's called us to holiness. The problem is, like Keith and I was studying and talking there a while ago, what is sin and what is holiness? You know, some people will say, well, I mean, what is sin? Well, <laughs> what is sin to you? You know, some people don't see anything as sin other than things like murder, you know, and things like that. Well, that's sin. But there's a whole lot of things that sin besides that. You know, it's easy to sin. And it's not easy to walk in holiness. But, you know, all I can say is we have to struggle toward that point. You know, I, I, I struggle every day, just like Paul said. I know I've not yet obtained that position, but I am struggling to get there. I do want to walk in obedience to God. To God's Word. I'm trying. You know, I'm not going to blatantly go out and sin. If I know that I'm doing something wrong, I'm not going to do it. Now, you may think I'm doing something wrong, but I'm glad you are not my judge. I'm glad the Lord is my judge because He knows my heart. You don't know my heart. You don't know what I went through today, and so you can't tell whether I sin today or not. But God knows. 
And so that's so I'm saying, you know, when we jump on somebody and say, you know, you sin. You don't know. You know, it's your opinion of whether we sin. But God is the one that judges. And so and I'm glad he is. Verse 8 says, He therefore that despises, despises not man but God, who has also given unto us his Holy Spirit. So thank goodness we have the Holy Spirit to teach us. He says, But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. We're supposed to be loving each other. And he said, Indeed, you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech your brethren that you increase more and more. So we haven't arrived yet. We need to be increasing our love more and more toward people. And that you study to be quiet. (laughs) That you study to be quiet. That's really something to think about, isn't it? This one says, lead a quiet life. Yeah. In other words, study so you can learn how to keep your mouth shut. (laughs) I think every one of us probably need a little work in that area. Every one of us. You know, so there's probably a lot of times, I know there's times in my life when I'd be much better off if I just kept my mouth shut. But when I opened it, I got in trouble because I made the wrong kind of statement or somebody misunderstood what I said. And that caused the problem. So, it's amazing what the enemy can do. In fact, I will never forget. I don't remember what I said, but I was at a home over north of Justin one night teaching the Word of God. And thank goodness there was about ten people there around the table. And this woman had invited me to come over and teach in her home. And so I went over there. When I got there, her husband was there. Of course, I met him. And he had built their own home. And so when I walked in, I was the first one there. And we got to talking. And I, I talked about I said, you got a, really got a nice home here. He said, yeah, I built it. Every stick of it. I said, oh, great. I said, I built mine too. And he said, well, let me show you mine. And so we go through every room, everywhere, out in the garage. We go everywhere. And we really hit it off. I mean, you know, I, he, I was loving him. He was loving me. We was having a great time. We had something in common building a building. Well, we go back in and sit down at the table. And we start talking about the Word. And I found out real quick, he did, we didn't have nothing in common here. Because I, I, will, I will never... I wish I had a tape recording of that night. Because I made a statement. And I don't remember the statement. Because it had been too many years ago. And he jumped on me and said, You said... And when he got through saying what he did, I said, No, sir. I did not say that. He said, you most certainly did. And I said, well, sir, I'm sorry. But I said, this is what I said. And I turned back to the Scripture and I read it again. When I read it, he said, see there, you said it again. And by this time, I'm totally dumbfounded. And I'm just sitting there, I don't know where to go. And one of the other men that knew him, he said, I don't remember what his name was, I'll just use Joe. He said, Joe, I don't know where you're coming from. Because what... You said, he said, is not what I heard him say. He said, 
What he said is exactly what he repeated the second time. And twice you said something that's totally different than what he said. And I'm sitting there thinking, how in the world did the devil turn what I said around in his mind between here and across the table? But you know that taught me a great lesson that night? That you can make a statement and somebody standing three or four or five or six feet away from you can t- and somebody sitting right beside them and the two people hear entirely two different things. Isn't that amazing? Any of y'all ever experienced anything like this? Several of you have. You know what I'm talking about. But this guy got a burr under his blanket for me and in a, at five minutes he got up and stormed out of the room and went back to the bedroom. And he didn't stay for the teaching. And I, thought, I told his wife when I got through that night, I said, ma'am, I, I'm sorry I didn't... I don't know why your husband misinterpreted what I said, but I did. You, I said, did you hear what I said? She said, yes, I heard what you said. And what you said certainly was not what my husband said you said. I said, well, okay, so I don't understand. But anyway, later, she said, well, we'd like to have another Bible study in a couple of weeks if we can. And I said, okay, I'll come back. But she called me before the two weeks up and she said, you know, when I told my husband I've invited you to come back again, she said, it's been hell in my house ever since. So she said, Thurman, I'm sorry, but I can't have you back in my home. I said, I understand. So I never did go back to that home. I don't know what I said to that guy, but whatever I said, he was the only one in the room understood what he understood. And nobody else, everybody else heard exactly what I said except him. Isn't that strange? But some of you have experienced the same things. And you'll have two people sitting side by side, and I'll make a statement, and then I'll ask you, what did I say? And one of you's got one statement to say, and another one's got another statement, and another one's got another. And that's what blows me away. So now I understand with the enemy that's messing up these voice uh, waves, at the time they leave our mouth till they get to your ears, I can understand how we have the problem we have about the Word of God. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. But he says there, <clears throat> verse 10, I believe is where we were. 11. 11. Okay, and 11. And, oh yeah, that you studied to be quiet. Okay, yeah, there we We studied to be quiet. Now, that, how many of you have done any studying to be quiet? Let me ask this question. Anybody ever done any studying so you can be quiet? Well, we need to start, don't you think? Since the Lord told us to study. Amen. We, yeah, we want that anointing, don't we? We definitely want that anointing. So the Lord says, study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So each one of us is supposed to have a job and work and not sponge off of somebody else, right? Is that right? In other words, if you find somebody that's always sponging off you and they say they're Christians, you better check them out. They may not be the Christian they say they are. You know, if they're always asking you for money or asking you to help them, and yet they're healthy, I mean, what are they supposed to be doing? Sponging off you or out working? Supposed to be out working. That's absolutely right. You know, now... I was talking to a, a young couple. He was talking about how 
he worked hard all day long and eight hours, and then he's tired when he gets home at night. And I told him, I said, son, as young as you are, when I was your age, I went to school from 6 o'clock in the morning until noon. And then from 1 o'clock till 9 o'clock at night, I worked an eight-hour shift at a machine shop. And then I studied. And then I got in bed, and I slept and got up the next morning at 5.15 and went back to work. And I did that every day, five days a week, and carried a very good average in school as well as doing a very good job where I worked. But an eight-hour job in a six-hour school, that's 14 hours out of 24. I don't leave a whole lot to eat and sleep and do the other things you need to do. I did that for two years because I wanted to graduate in a hurry. So I studied and worked hard for two years. Hey, I was young. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. It's a determination you have to want. And some of the friends of mine told me, said, Thurman, you're a fool. You know, you're going to kill yourself. No, it didn't kill me. While they were out running around drinking and smoking and all that stuff, I'm studying and I'm getting me an education. So today, I'm successful and some of them are not. So, you know, so I spent the time with God. So it depends on what you want out of life. Are you going to spend time with God and do what He says? Or are you not going to do anything with Him and you're going to be sick and afflicted? But He says there, Verse 12, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without or outside, and that you may have lack of nothing. In other words, we are supposed to walk honestly toward all men, and for sure the unbeliever. You know, when you've got an unbeliever out there, you need to definitely be walking honest, because if the devil, if he gets a chance... All you've got to do is make one little mistake in the presence of the devil's children, and they will never forget what you've done. I mean, just think. You take a wonderful preacher that comes to Dallas, and he 20,000 comes to the Coliseum or whatever, and they preach, and 3,000 get saved, and 500 or 1,000 get healed, and all this kind of stuff. And do you ever see it on the news? No. Oh, absolutely not. No, you won't see that on the news. But let's say you got one little preacher in a little tiny church like this one, and he makes one little mistake, and he falls to sexual immorality. How many people know about it? Oh, they got it blasted all over. That preacher, brother so-and-so, church so-and-so, located on this street, he got caught in sexual immorality. They blast you before the world. But yet, if you had done... Nothing but good for the last 20 years. They don't tell you nothing about what he'd done in the past. That sounds just like the devil, doesn't it? So let me tell you, you better walk honestly before the devil's kids. Because they're going to nail you and crucify you if you make a tiny little mistake. As long as you're out there in the world and you're living in the world, they don't say nothing about you. I mean, you know, you can, you can be living in sin. In fact, some of those news commentators that make those statements probably are some of the biggest sinners they are. You know, they're living in sin. They're going out of town. They're sleeping around. They're drinking. They're smoking. They're not all They don't see what they're doing is wrong. But you catch a preacher doing one of those things, man, they nail him to the wall. He's supposed to be different. And they're right. We are supposed to be different. But you make a mistake. That's why the Lord says you better walk honestly among those that are outside Because if you don't, they're going to nail you. He said, verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. 
Okay, now here's one of those statements. I don't want you to be ignorant about something that's fixing to happen. Now, a while ago he said, Behold, I'm going to show you a mystery. This time he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about what's fixing to happen. He says, That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Well, who is it that has no hope? The lost people, the unbelievers. We got hope. He says, For if we believe... If we believe that Jesus died and arose again, even so them also which die or sleep in Jesus with God, will God bring with Him. Okay, now wait a minute. What did that say? If, we're, if we have died and we've gone to heaven, He's going to come back someday and who's He going to bring back with Him? Us. But if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which die or sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. With Jesus. He's, God's going to send Jesus. He's coming back. And who's going to come back with Him? The believers. The believers that died. He's going to come back. It says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep or dead. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. There's that voice with that shout. With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. There's that trumpet again. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, I mean, I'm sure all of y'all heard that little joke. Why are the dead going to rise first? You know why the dead's going to rise first? Because they've got six feet further to travel. <laughs> you know, they're in the ground. So the, the grounds are going to bust open and those bodies are going to come up out of there and then they're going to be standing right beside you and me. Now then we're on equal ground. Amen. Then we're going to go up together. I mean, see, God don't let none of us get ahead of the other one, does He, sister? He doesn't let nobody get ahead of nobody here. He does everything fair. He's going to raise those that have died. Don't worry if you die before Jesus comes again. There ain't no big deal. When you die, immediately you're going to get to go to God to get to be in the third heaven, and then you're going to leave your body here, and then one day when Jesus comes back, He's going to bring your spirit that's already in heaven. He's going to bring it back, and He's going to resurrect your dead body, and it's going to be standing there with all the other bodies, so whenever it comes up, whenever it catches, He's going to bring that spirit back, and it's going to re-enter that body, and that body's going to be made incorruptible and perfect. Now, when we think about what God can do, somebody says, well, I don't know if He can heal me or not. I'm in bad shape. You know what kind of shape a body's going to be in when it's been in the ground for a few hundred or a few thousand years? Ain't nothing left. I mean, just think. You know, nobody wants to think about this, but just think when we die, when they put us in the ground, you know, our caskets deteriorate and our bodies totally deteriorate. I mean, there's nothing left but maybe a few hard bones. That's all. There ain't nothing else left. It's over. But see, that flesh and blood, it's nothing anyway. I mean, it's amazing how much time we spend with this flesh and blood body, making it look good, smell good, and all that other stuff, and really it's just junk. 
It's just junk. You know, it's just a piece of junk. You know, but God is going to do a great work in this body. He's going to make this body incorruptible. And, and the spirits that have already left this earth that have gone to heaven, when he comes back, he's bringing them with him. He's going to bring, according to that scripture, he's going to bring them back. And then those dead bodies will be resurrected. They'll come up here. And let's see what it says. For we say unto you by the word of the Lord, what we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Those are comforting words, aren't they? Yeah. So, what question? Okay. Uh, how do you reconcile this scripture with uh, Revelation chapter 20? In the thousand year reign, when read some it, some it. people are going to be, uh, it says some people are going to be resurrected, and the rest that are not resurrected will be resurrected in the second resurrection. Oh, okay, Revel- that's Revelations 20. 20 yeah. Let me let's go over there. We'll talk about that. Revelations 20. We will talk about that. Okay, Revelations 20. Okay, Revelations. Is it verse four? Okay, let's. We'll, as soon as I get there, get there in just a second. Eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Okay, Revelation twenty. And it says, "Let me start with verse one." And he says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. So we know there's a time coming when the devil is going to be bound in chains by an angel from God, and he's going to be put into the bottom of his pit and locked up where he will not be able to deceive the nations for 1,000 years. Now, that hadn't happened yet, but that's going to happen in the future. And verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such his second death has no power, 
and they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And let's read a little further and then we'll come back and talk about all this. And when the thousand years were expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. And it shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, together them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And as it went up on the breadth of the camp, or breadth of the earth, and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they, had, and they were already there, and it shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and a death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now then, what he's trying to tell us here in this, that there is a time coming that right at the beginning of the uh, tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to come on the scene and the false prophet, and they're going to deceive us, and they're going to do all these things to deceive mankind, and there's going to come a time there when they will be caught and they will be the first to cast into hell or the lake of fire. And then at the end of the tribulation period, the, the, devil, the devil will be bound at the end of the tribulation period for a thousand years. And then when the devil is bound, the, the, people, the people that died during this time that are believers, they will be resurrected. And the, the, the first resurrection has many parts. When was the first fruits of the first resurrection? When did that take place? Who became, who was the first fruits of the first resurrection? Jesus, Jesus that's right. When did that happen? 2,000 years ago. Now then, at the end of this age that we know right now, there's going to be another resurrection. That's going to be part of the first resurrection. All the believers in Christ, the way I understand the Word of God, all of those, if you and me all die before Jesus returns, if we do, or all those that have already died, that died in Christ, when Jesus comes again to catch us away, that will be a rapture or a resurrection of the dead. And all those people that have died from the time Jesus was here until the rapture comes will be resurrected and will be caught up to be with the Lord. We will go to receive our rewards. We will go to stand before the Lord 
And then at the end, or at the middle point of the tribulation period, there is another rapture of the two saints that were laying dead in the streets of Jerusalem. They were caught up and they went ascending to heaven. Then at the end of the tribulation period, all those people that come to know Christ in the time of the tribulation period that did not take the mark of the beast, as we read there, those people that were beheaded, the devil said, you either serve me or cut your head off. So, many of them said, well, we're not going to serve you. So he cut their heads off. And John says, these were the ones that were beheaded for service unto the Lord. So, at the end of this tribulation period, those saints will be resurrected and they will be caught up to be with the Lord. And then it says, the devil will be bound and he will be chained and he will be cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Well, what's going to happen during that thousand years? The Scripture tells us that while Satan is bound, at the end of the tribulation period, the few people that are left after all these tremendous plagues and devastation and nuclear war and everything else upon the face of the earth, there will be a few people left. Those people will come out of that time and the Lord will heal them, obviously, and put them in good shape and good health. And He will bring all of us back, you and me, and all of us as Christians, we will come back to this earth and we will be the governors and administrators that will reign and rule with the King on the earth for a thousand years. In other words, who knows? He might make you governor of Dallas. You know, who knows? You know, and he might make you, who knows? But you will have some position of power and authority, and the king himself will be reigning and ruling from his new temple in Jerusalem. Now then, we will be reigning and ruling over this entire earth for a thousand years, and as the Lord is raising people up, the scripture says over in the book, I believe it's in Zechariah, I forget the chapter and the verse. But he says, during the millennial reign or the thousand-year reign of Christ from Jerusalem, all the nations that will refuse to come to Jerusalem and worship him during Feast of Tabernacles, he will give them no rain. Isn't that amazing? Even during the millennium, there's going to be nations that's going to say, we don't want to come over there. We don't want to serve you. He said, no problem. I'm not going to force you to come over here, but I'm just going to cut off the rain over your nation. And you ain't going to get no rain if you don't come worship me. Isn't that awesome? But that's what he says. So, I hope there won't be anybody that will do that very long. I hope, you know, they won't have to starve. That they will realize that God means business and he means what he says. And so that they will love him and worship him and praise him. And so... Out of this 1,000 years with no devil, I want you to think about the power of the devil. Now, this is something, as reading these scriptures, this has become a revelation to me. And I may be totally in left field here, but I think I can prove this from the scripture. I believe that when Satan became the god of this world, I believe at the time he became god of this world, none of the insects were poisonous. None of the snakes were poisonous. None of the animals were killers. Nothing ate another animal. I believe that they all ate grass or straw or whatever and that nothing killed another animal. I don't believe the snake was poisonous until Satan became the god of this world. 
I believe Satan uses these critters today to kill, steal, and destroy all of us that don't know who we are in Christ. How do I believe that? Because it says during the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand years of Satan's bound in the bottomless pit, it says the lion shall lay down with the lamb. It says the child shall play on the mountain or the nest of an adder. That's a poisonous snake. Can you today imagine if you walked outside and your little daughter or little son, which is two or three years old, was playing there and a poisonous rattlesnake was crawling around them? Can you imagine what that would do to you? You know, it would put you in a state of panic, wouldn't it? I mean, there you are out there and a rattlesnake or more, more a viper, a poisonous viper. But it says... During the millennium, these lions will lay down with the lamb. Doesn't it say that? You've read that. So they won't kill each other. And it says the children shall play with these snakes. And they won't be hurt. So when you take the devil out of the scene, not only do you take sickness out of the scene, but you you change the whole environment that we live in. No more death and destruction. Even the lions don't eat the kids. You know, there's no more death and destruction. There is no more war. Men don't dream about killing each other without the devil. You say, that can't be. Yes, because it says also in the Scripture, during the millennial reign of Christ, man will beat his swords into plowshares. There will be no more war for a thousand years. So who is, the, who is the critter behind sickness and disease? The devil. Who is the critter behind stealing, killing, and destroying? The devil. Absolutely. So we go along here for a thousand years and man does not die. He is the author of death. So man don't die. So if you on this earth, if we are ruling as in our immortal bodies as servants of God, children of God, were the governors and administrators reigning and ruling over the earth during the thousand years, and there's no death, how many people do you think could be born, and how many multitudes could there be in a thousand years if there's no death? And you stayed young. Just think. Wow. I mean, a family might go back like they used to and have 10, 20, 30 children. Isn't that awesome? I mean, you know... 10, 20, 30 children. I mean, but they all work together and love together. And if, if people work together and love together and there was no anger, rage, and no devil, can you imagine how blessed life could be? Yeah. And then just think, your children would have children, 10, 20, 30. Think how many grandchildren and great-grandchildren you could have. Just think, and you think, I mean, but these are the people, that's not you now, you and I are in our glorified state. We're reigning and ruling with the king. That part of life is over for us. We've stepped over into a new realm. We as a church are reigning and ruling with a king on this earth. Those of us that have been obedient to serving. He says, if, and think what he said in the scripture. You have been faithful over a few things. I'll put you over many cities in the kingdom. Think about it. He made those statements. So does it make you want to be faithful over everything? Sure. Because he said, I'll put you over many things in the kingdom. So we reign and rule with the king, and we go for a thousand years. Now, the, the first resurrection started out with Jesus, 
And then it started out at the beginning of the tribulation period. And then at the end of the tribulation period, we had another one of those raptures. There's many sections of the first resurrection. All these were believers. All these were believers. But when he talks about the dead, he's talking about the sinners. Those that didn't believe in Jesus. So we don't see those resurrected anywhere until the end of the thousand year millennial reign. Now, it says the first thing happened is the devil's turned loose. He unchains that beast. Why would he do such a thing? Because he is a God that is going to allow everybody to be tested to find out, do you want to serve him or not? He's not going to let you come to heaven just with no trials and tests. So it says immediately when the devil is loosed after a thousand years of bondage, when there's been peace on the earth, there's been no war, there's been no poisonous animals, no poisonous snakes, no poisonous insects, everything has been bliss. The Lord has been ruling from Jerusalem and we're ruling with him. And now all of a sudden he turns the devil loose. And what does the devil do? He goes across the earth immediately and gathers together an army to come against Jesus in Jerusalem to kill him. And that sound, how in the world could you live on this earth for a thousand years with wonderful people in incorruptible bodies reigning and ruling and walking in total love with you? And how in the world, after living in that for one thousand years, could the devil be loosed and come upon you and say, Oh, Gina, come with me and I'll show you a better way. And you fall. How could that devil be so slick? But He is. Now, He won't be able to do that to us because we're the body of Christ. We're glorified. But it's the people that are living here that He's going to do that to. And it says, and He draws a huge army. We just read that in the Scripture. He draws a huge army and He comes against Jesus at Jerusalem to kill Him. Now, these people have lived with the king. He's provided for them. He's given them rain. He's given them everything they need. He's blessed them. He's given them children. And they know they've seen him. He's living in Jerusalem. And you can go over there and see him. You can make a trip to Jerusalem at this point, anytime you want to, as a human being in this thousand years, and walk in and not just go in and see the empty tomb. You can see the king of kings in his glorified state. You can walk in and see him. And still... The devil's going to be able to deceive those people and they're going to come against him to kill him. The king of kings and lord of lords. And as that army approaches Jerusalem to kill him, the scripture says, and God the Father rains down fire from heaven and kills them all. All of them are killed that, that the devil deceived. And then it says, the devil, after he's done this little feat, he is now cast into the lake of fire. Which, did you know, the lake of fire is the only thing in the book that's translated hell. Everywhere else, it's Gehenna, the place of torment. But the only place at hell, hell right now is not open. There ain't nobody in hell right now. Nobody. There's a lot of them in the place of torment in Gehenna. And they're in a flame and they're suffering. But nobody, nobody is in hell yet. It has not been opened according to the Scripture, the way I understand it. The false prophet and the Antichrist are the first two to be cast into the lake of fire. It's what it says. 
They are the first two. And then after that, Satan is cast into the lake of fire. And then it says, all of the dead, the unbelievers, the big sinners and the little sinners, the great and the small. What does that mean? The little guy that just was a good guy on his block, that was good to his wife and his children, but he just wouldn't go to church and wouldn't believe in Jesus. He's a little sinner. But Hitler, he's a big sinner. He killed six million Jews. So it don't make no difference. All of them are resurrected from the dead now. All those that have died since the beginning of time, starting with wicked Cain. He's been there all this time. All these thousands of years. He is going to be resurrected and every evildoer from the time of Cain, Abel, he was righteous. But Cain killed his brother. He was a murderer and the devil was in him. So every one of those people that have lived throughout all of eternity past to that time will be resurrected and they will all stand before the great white throne of God. Now see, there ain't no Christian going to stand before this throne. The believing Christians, we're already been in heaven with the Lord. We've already come back to the earth and reigned and ruled with Him a thousand years. You know, we've already been through our judgment or the handing out of our rewards. Those of us that have been faithful, He has given us our rewards and our crowns and all those things, and we're reigning and ruling with Him for a thousand years. And we will be there to see the great white throne judgment when we see Him resurrect all of the lost people. And many of you will know many of them. Some of them may be your mates, your mothers, fathers, your loved ones. But you'll see them. You'll recognize them. But none of them were believers in Jesus. And they will stand before the great white throne. And this is the part that used to really shock me. I said, I can, I'm thinking, here we are as believers at the great white throne. We're on this side with Jesus, and there is the lost multitude out in front of us. And all of a sudden, some guy, maybe he worked for me, or maybe he was a friend of mine, and he walked up and he says, What are you doing over there on that side? I said, Well, I believed in Jesus. Well, why didn't you tell me? If you knew about Jesus, I worked with you for 20 years. Not one time did you ever tell me that Jesus, I had to accept Jesus to be able to go to heaven. That's going to be something, isn't it? That's going to be something. And after I thought about that one time, I thought, Lord, I don't want that to happen to me. So, Lord, I don't care who laughs at me. I don't care who makes fun of me. I'm going to do the best I can. Every human being I come in contact with, if I'm there more than a few minutes, I'm going to find out if they're a believer in Jesus. And I'm going to tell them how simple it is to come into the kingdom of God just to make you Lord and Savior. It's just call on the name of Jesus. And then, Lord, if they don't believe it, that's between you and them. But I ain't going to stand on the great white throne. And one day somebody says, you knew the answer. And you didn't tell me. I want them to say, there he is. That guy right there. He told me 50 times I needed to make Jesus Lord of my life and I would never believe him. Because just think, everybody it says is going to be judged according to their works. And they will be cast into the lake of fire according to their works. 
Okay, so Hitler's going to be really tormented by a multitude of demons and cast into a very, very hot lake. But how about if you was a good guy or gal on the block and you just didn't believe in Jesus, but you were in just one of the cooler lakes of fire? <laughs> say it was only 10,000 degrees in your lake. And say you only had 10 demons tormenting you. But Hitler's was a million degrees or five million degrees, and he had 5,000 demons tormenting him. What's the difference? It's all torment. It's all suffering. He says, they will be judged according to their works, but all of them will be cast into the lake of fire according to their works. Hey, I mean, if you did the best work you could do and you was cast into the least of all the suffering in the lake of fire, it's still going to be torment. And you're going to be there forever. You're going to be there forever. There's no way out. That is the second death. That is the second resurrection. And no Christian will have any part in the second death or the second resurrection. Believers in Jesus as walking in obedience to the Word of God will be resurrected at, I believe, at either the beginning of the tribulation period. And I'm totally, completely convinced that this thing we talked about tonight, the rapture, which some people believe is going to happen, some people don't believe is going to happen. Some of you totally may disagree with me, and that's okay. You have the right to disagree with me. And, you know, I, I believe like I do, and you can believe like you do. But I believe that the rapture of the church is coming at the beginning of the tribulation period. And I believe those that are looking for Him is going to go. Do I believe there's going to be Christians left after that happens? Yes. I believe there's going to be Christians that's not looking. Christians that are not walking in obedience to His Word. Christians that are walking in sin. And I believe they're going to be left. Now then, what can they do? Repent and get right with God. And then get your head cut off. I mean, but Deborah, getting your head cut off and getting to go to heaven would be better than keeping your head and going to hell. Right? You know? I mean, can you, can you imagine? I mean, you think you've been tried and tested? Can you imagine what it would be like if the devil sent some of his men out and he said, hmm. Are you saying you're a believer in Jesus? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes, yes. I'm a believer in Jesus. I, I was supposedly a believer in Jesus before the rapture. But, I mean, I didn't walk in obedience to His Word. But I'm telling you, now I'm believing. He said, oh, you do? I said, you, let, me take, let me put the mark on you. No, I ain't taking that mark. I ain't taking that mark. Because he says, if you take the mark, you're eternally damned to hell. So if you take that mark, you will not be able to go to heaven according to God's mighty Word. I just had a question about all of the radio ministers that are talking about uh, the national ID card and all of this that they're talking about implanting in each one of us all these little chips with all this information so that they can keep up with where we're going and what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Are we going to be able to claim, hey, this is against our religious beliefs, so thank you, but no thanks? Yeah. Did you know, uh, if I didn't read this wrong the other day on the Internet, in our government, they have passed a law that by 2008, everybody has to have a national ID permanent card. Is that right? Now then, 
If they tell me they want to implant a number in my body and I got to take this, I'm telling you folks, I ain't taking it. You can do what you want to do. But when they start telling me, and especially if they tell me they want to plant it in my forehead or in the back of my right hand. And I, you can do what you want. They said, if you don't take this, you can't buy, sell, or trade. I said, okay, then I'm just going to skip the country. But I ain't taking no number in the back of my right hand or in my forehead because the Word of God says, if you take that number in your forehead or in your right hand, you will not be able to go to heaven. Isn't that what he said? Yes. Somebody else read that besides me. Yes. So I'm telling you, and it may come to this. And what are you going to do if they say, okay, the bank accounts only work through this number. If you don't have it, you don't have a bank account. Okay, then I don't have a bank account. Okay, you can't register your car. Okay, then I walk. You can't buy gas. You can't buy groceries. Okay, I'm just going to go out there and trust God. I'm going to tell you what. It's going to come to the point where you have to trust God. Now then, if we're obedient and do what He says, can God feed us? Yes. Sure He can. He can fix you where you don't need no food. I mean, He can do things beyond your wildest dreams. But you talk about being put to the test. You're going to be put to the test beyond your wildest dreams. Everything you and I know, the way we know it and believe it today, is not going to be existent. If this thing comes to pass, and it could be in the very near future, I mean, can you imagine... Not being able to go get in your car and drive home and sleep in your beautiful bed tonight? How do we know that that system is coming from the enemy? Well, we'll just have to trust God. You know, we'll just have to trust God on this. We do not know. This is what we're going to really, in the days ahead, you and I are really going to have to learn to discern what's going on. We're going to really have to depend on God. Now, if our king that loves us with all of his heart that died for us and that talks to us, some of you are just like me. Some of you have heard his voice. Some of you have had the Lord speak to you just like I have. And I'm going to tell you, if he says nothing ever happens and I don't allow nothing to happen until I reveal it to my prophets first. So I believe that the Lord will reveal to his true church I believe if nothing else, he'll speak to the pastors or he'll speak to a prophet in the church and the prophet will rise up one day or the pastor will rise up and say, the Lord spoke to me this last week and said they're going to try to put this number on you this next week or this next month and you're not to take it. Because it's the mark of the beast. I believe the Lord will warn us or he might just tell each one of us, don't take this mark. And if he does... If the Lord starts telling us, you know, you need to be very cautious, number one, because he says in his word that the mark of the beast will be put in the right forehead or in the forehead or in the back of the right hand. So this deal I read the other day, they were talking about the best place to put this little chip for identification is in the back of your right hand right here or in your forehead. And therefore, you walk by, they scan this thing, and they know who you are and everything about you. And I think, wow, the book of Revelation is coming to pass. So, you know, who knows? But we're going to have to rightly discern these things in the future. Because we know we're coming up on a time. Now, I don't know how many years this is into the future. 
And it may not be years. It may just be months. You know, I do not know. But I mean, you know, the Lord says we have no need to be concerned. He loves us. He's going to take care of us. And so as we stand our ground, and I believe with all my heart that as the church is standing her ground, that while we're standing our ground and the devil's trying to put these things on us, you know, and we're refusing to accept this, I believe the Lord, that's when all these things we read tonight is going to happen. He's going to say, Wow! And you're going to hear him say, Church, look up! Here I am! Don't you? And I believe he's going to rapture us up. I believe we're going to see the graves open. Have we ever seen a time in history that the dead has already been raised and they went to heaven? Do you know of a time in the Scripture besides Jesus that the dead, the graves were opened and the dead came forth? You know that anywhere in the Scripture? Where? Okay, it's in, it's in Matthew chapter 27. In Matthew chapter 27, after Jesus came forth from the dead down into hell, when He came back among breathing, living men, it said, and the, the, the graves of the saints were opened, and they came forth and walked in the streets of Jerusalem. Can you imagine what a day? You say, hey, brother, I thought you died 50 years ago. He said, man, you ought to be on the trip where I've been. It's great. It's awesome. I mean, can you imagine that? You see some guy, you know you buried him 20 years ago, and there he stands totally well right in front of you. Would that be something? They got to see that. And then, of course, I believe those people, it's written in the annals of history of, of Israel that when Jesus ascended, not only did He ascend, but all those people that had come out of those graves, they ascended and He took them back to the Father as a wave offering. You know, so those, that, that resurrection and that ascension was not just Jesus going back to the third heaven. He took a multitude of people with Him at that time. That same thing is going to happen again, just like that, in the not-too-distant future. The King's coming. You know, He's going to say, Church, here I am. You know, and bam, the dead in Christ is going to say, whoa, that's a king calling. And men, those graves are going to bust open. They're going to come up out of there. And he's going to put those spits that he brought from heaven back in them. And then those of us which are alive and remain at the time, he'll glorify us and put us, make us incorruptible. And he'll say, let's go to heaven. And bam, we're gone in a heartbeat, in a flash. We're on the way to the third heaven. And we're going to go up there and we're going to get to be with him for seven years. And as we're there at seven years during the, the judgment seat of Christ, or while the rewards are being handed out, as we're there with Him, He will be cleansing and purifying the earth in the seven-year tribulation period. And you don't want to be here. I don't want to be here during that tribulation period. I'd a whole lot rather be in heaven with the King receiving our rewards and seeing everybody get their rewards than to be down here undergoing this and watching all those that did decide to make Jesus Lord of the life and watch them get their heads cut off. You know, because he's going to cut your head off. Can you imagine? You come up there and he said, if you don't serve me, I'm going to cut your head off. No, I'll take that back. If you don't serve me, those are your children? Yeah, I'm going to take them children one by one. And I'm going to cut the littlest head off and then the second one and then the third one. And if you don't repent and turn from your wicked ways and say, I will follow the devil. No, you ain't going, are you? I mean, even if they kill all your kids. They kill you too. Now, there's a woman that believes Jesus. Isn't that something? Can you imagine having to go through that? 
I mean, but just think, when we when they die, believing in Jesus, where did the book of Revelation say they wound up? At the throne of God. Paul, John said, who are these that have been beheaded? He said, those are those that came out of the great tribulation. Those that refused to take the mark of the beast. Isn't that amazing? Hey, I mean, there's going to be some devastating times ahead during the tribulation period. But then it's going to all be over. And think about this. Now, we want to quit right here, right now on this, what we're talking about. After reigning and ruling with the Lord on the earth for a thousand years in our glorified bodies. Well, that's going to be awesome. Just think. The king says, Gina, I need to see you over here in Israel. You say, bam, at the speed of thought. You talk about beam me up, Scotty. You say, yes, Lord, how can I help you? You know, I'm serious. You know, we travel at the speed of thought. And so then just think. Then after he cleanses and purifies the earth and if he casts the devil into the lake of fire and all the unbelievers at the great white thrones cast them into the lake of fire and then he burns up and purges the entire cosmos. Everything the devil has messed up and destroyed through the second heaven and everything else, he burns up and cleanses it and purifies it and totally annihilates all demonic spirits and then he recreates this whole thing brand new. New heavens, new earth, everything perfect, no devil. And then, think about this. If he's got new heavens and new earth, now all the planets out there are inhabitable. All of them, all of them are like the earth, beautiful, green, lush. And so, he might walk up to you one day and say, My daughter, why don't you take a couple of thousand people and run off out here to XYZ planet and uh, I'll put you in charge of that. Can you imagine that? And then just think. Let's go a step beyond that. In a trillion years from now, the cosmos is beginning to get a little crowded. Because you know how many people can be born in a trillion years? And we're reigning and ruling with the king. And all of a sudden he might look over and say, Hmm, my son... Why don't you come and go with me? And you say, yes, Lord. And he takes you off out there in the north somewhere. So we've got a whole lot of blank space right out here. We need a, another set of galaxies out here. Why don't you just speak me a couple of new galaxies with about 50 new planets with about 3 million stars into existence out here so we'll have place for some more of these people. You speak it and we'll watch it happen. Can you imagine that? No, we can't even imagine that. We don't know what the king has for us in the future. But I'm going to tell you, it's going to be beyond your wildest dreams. So look forward to it. And whatever you have to suffer on this earth, consider it as junk. Except for knowing Jesus and what he has planned for you in the future. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this evening. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that the rapture's coming sometime soon. We thank you, Lord, that we're not going to be at the great white throne to be judged. We're not the dead. We're the living. And, Father, we thank you that we have the privilege. Now, Lord, help us to go out this week and every week after this to tell people about you so that we can win souls into the kingdom. Lord, we don't want nobody to be in that second death. There's already far too many that's going to be there. But help us, Lord, to be about your business to pray for people and to tell people about Jesus so these people can come into the kingdom. And Lord, we don't care what they say about us. We could care less. 
But we just want to glorify you as we talk about you and your magnificence. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're our Lord and our God. And we thank you for the wonderful things you wrote in this book. And Lord, we ask you to help us to rightly divide the truth. And Lord, if there's anybody here tonight that does not believe the book like I read it, then Lord, that's their privilege. And they may be right and I may be wrong. But Lord, I have studied and this is what I believe is going to happen. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for blessing us. As we go out this way, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.